the letter to the Hebrews. The author of this letter is anonymous, and people have wondered for a long time whether Paul wrote it or maybe one of his co-workers like Barnabas or Apollos, but really we just don't know. In chapter 2, we discover that the author had a first-hand relationship with the disciples who were themselves around Jesus, so we know that this letter is anchored in the teaching of the apostles. We also don't know who the audience of this letter was or even where they lived. The author knows them really well, and he assumes that they have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the storyline of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, about how Abraham's family became the nation of Israel, about how Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received the Torah and they made a covenant with God, where they built the tabernacle, where the priests offered sacrifices, and also about how they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that the readers know all of the details about these stories. And so most likely the audience is made up of Jewish Christians that's where the name of the letter comes from. We also have clues from chapter 10 that this church community was facing persecution and even imprisonment because of their association with Jesus. Some in the community were walking away from Jesus and abandoning the faith altogether. And this explains the purpose and the structure of this letter. First, there's a short introduction, which is followed by four sections where the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events from Israel's history. Jesus is first compared with angels in the Torah, second with Moses and the Promised Land, third with priests and Melchizedek, and lastly with the sacrifices and the covenant. And the author has two main goals in all of these contrasts. The first goal is to elevate Jesus as superior to anyone or anything else, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. But his second goal is this, it's to challenge the readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. So in every section, he includes a strong warning not to abandon Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us who are gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So years and years ago, uh, my wife and I decided to take a trip out to far west Texas. And uh, as part of that trip, my, my wife, who has a deathly fear of heights, decided she wanted to, to hike up Guadalupe Peak, which is the highest point in Texas. Not the best choice for someone who's terrified of heights, but we did it anyway. It's about 8,000 feet tall. And, you know, people will say that Texas doesn't have mountains because, like, in Colorado, they've got mountains that are 14,000, 15,000 feet tall. But I always come back and remind them that, you know, yeah, but that's the height from sea level. And in Colorado, at the base of the mountain, you're starting way above sea level. In Texas, in West Texas, you're starting at sea level and going up 8,000 feet. So it's basically the same. <laughs> no snow, but, I mean, come on. And... Um, as we were on our way out there, we made a few stops, and in one of those stops, I bought this, and then I, and then I immediately felt kind of like a sad old person, no offense. <laughs> but I thought, here I am, you know, I'm in my 20s, I'm supposed to be, you know, young and fit and strong, and I just bought a walking stick. Um, and I, I brought it with me the day we decided to hike the mountain, mostly because I thought, this seems like something you would take with you if you hike a mountain, who knows. Um, and, you know, for the first, like, two-thirds of it, this was mostly just there to, to you know, it, did, it was a prop. It didn't really do anything. Because the first two-thirds or so of the way up, you're, it's a slight incline, but it's not too bad, and you're really just kind of going 
in, in a circle around the, the base as you go up, and it's not too bad, and there's an actual trail that's clearly marked, you know. Um, the second third, though, the, <laughs> the trail starts to, to peter out, and by the time you're, you're in the last third of the hike, um, it's really just bare rock, and it's not flat, you know, it's this, and you're kind of walking along the side of a mountain, and you're never level, so you've always got one foot higher than the other, and let me tell you something. When you get to that part, having one of these becomes really, really helpful. And, and I felt better about myself at that point because we could look ahead and we could see all the people who were going ahead of us, and most of them had two. <laughs> and I thought, I should have bought another one because <laughs> one of these is not, I mean, two would be great. You'd have four, you know, four points of contact. It's awesome. But there were so many points along, along as we were hiking up where, uh, you know, we'd be, we'd be going up, and, and, you know, my wife didn't bring, she bought one too, but she didn't bring it. Um, the one who was afraid of heights didn't bring the walking stick. And so there were points where, you know, the, the ground gets really steep and slippery, and she would be clinging to the mountain with all hands and feet and doing this, and I could just walk right on by with my walking stick, you know, and it was really nice. And uh, I can say all these things because she's not here, and I don't think she's watching the live stream. Um, but if you don't see me again, she was watching the live stream. And you know, there, were several, there were several moments where uh, people would pass us who were, um, shall we say, noticeably older than we were, who passed us on the hike, and then they'd pass us again going the other way. And we were thinking, hey, wait, what? <laughs> uh, and as embarrassing as that was, it was also really encouraging, right? Because, hey, if they can make it up, we can make it up, right? Come on, we can do this. So the whole way up, we're watching as people who you know, are obviously more experienced at this sort of thing, have obviously done it before, are passing us up and getting to the top and coming back down. And, and that meant every time we hit a patch of the mountain where we would stop and think, I'm not sure if we can walk across that, we would realize dozens of people have just walked across this twice, and they were okay. And there was something about that knowledge combined with my handy-dandy walking stick because uh, eventually I started going first, and, and then she was kind of like hanging on to me, and sometimes she took my stick from me. Um, but there was something just about that knowledge that, okay, I've got this to lean on, and I know other people have gone before, and they've done it, and they were successful, and they've come back, that gave us the strength and the courage to, to look at those patches of the mountain that didn't look at all safe to walk across and realize, okay, we can do that. And so eventually we made it to the top, and we made it, obviously we made it back down because I'm here today. Um, but there were, there were three or four times when I seriously stopped and said, I'm not sure we can go further. We may have to turn around. And each time we realize someone's already done it. If they can do it, we can do it. And we do strength and courage from the people who had gone before and that brings us into Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just going to start with the first six verses. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. 
God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This whole chapter in the letter is all about looking at those who've gone before to get a sense of what lies ahead for us. And by looking at them, we discover the one vital tool that we need in order to continue our journey. Faith. Faith functions just like this walking stick. It's the thing that we lean on that provides balance and stability and security when the ground around us is treacherous and uneven and slippery. It's the thing that supplements our own strength when we know our energy is fading. It is literally the crutch we lean on when we cannot stand on our own. So Hebrews 11 describes what faith is while it's also providing the clearest examples from Scripture of people who've gone before who had true faith. Now, faith is linked to hope, and in fact, faith can't be defined without referencing hope. Right? It's all well and good to have hope for the future, but faith in God is what makes that hope real. We may hope for a better world, but faith in God guarantees it. We may hope for a life beyond the grave, but faith that God raised Jesus from the dead guarantees it. Abel and Enoch are listed for one reason. They had faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God. And look what happens when we have faith and we please God. You live beyond death. So we'll pick it up in verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise." For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The faith of Abraham and Sarah was faith that the creator God is also the covenant God. That the God who promised that their offspring would outnumber the stars was the same God who made those stars in the first place. The God who could create life out of nothing was the same God promising them descendants who would be uncountable. The promise he made to them seems impossible. They're old enough that biologically Sarah shouldn't be able to have children. The author calls Abraham as good as dead. Imagine being that old, right? <laughs> Seems kind of insulting, but we'll move beyond it, right? He's so old, he's as good as dead. She can't have kids. Yet God promises them 
not just a child, but descendants who would outnumber the stars. And the thing is, the promise he makes them is backed up by the world in which they live. If that God can make everything we live in, all the things we see around us, all the stars we see in the night sky, if he can do that, then he can fulfill this promise. See, our faith is not entirely based on things that are unseen. God's promises may seem impossible to us, but if we want to be reassured that he can and will fulfill them, a quick look at the majesty of his creation is all that it takes to remind us that the God who did all of this can do all the things he's told us he's going to do. Noah's faith spurs him into action even when everyone else thinks he's crazy. Imagine seeing your neighbor building a giant boat in their lawn to escape the doomsday, right? We have whole TV shows based on these people, right? The doomsday preppers, that's what Noah is. The difference is he was right. (laughs) But we all know what happens when we see the people on the doomsday prepper shows, right? We all think they're kind of nuts, unless you're one of them, in which case I'm very sorry. I hope I can use your bunker one day. (laughs) It's his faith in God that marks him out as one of God's true people. This is a really important point for us because none of us are Jews. Noah is not a descendant of Abraham. It's his faith and his willingness to act on it that make him part of God's covenant family. And the same is true for us. Anyone who has faith in God and is willing to act on it is one of God's people. We pick it up again in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. If you don't remember what that last verse is referencing, as Joseph is dying, he tells his sons to keep his bones and take them with them when they go back to the promised land. He's on his deathbed. He's not seen the land that God has promised to him since he was a boy. He knows he's not going to see it again, but he knows God will bring his children back there. Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac is held up as an example of faith that looks beyond death. Now, Isaac didn't really die because God calls off the sacrifice when he realizes Abraham's really going to go through with it. But the fact remains, Abraham was going to do it. He had in his heart 
fully given his son over to God, expecting to lose him in this life. So in a real sense, he gets Isaac back from the dead. Abraham saw beyond death. His children did too. The covenant that God made with Abraham is renewed with each one of his children and their descendants, but none of them lived to see it fulfilled. And nonetheless, they never lost faith. So we come to verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So over and over again, God's people and their leaders have to have faith in God to do the impossible. And God does. Over and over again, they're confronted with situations where there is no clear way out. There is no clear way for them to escape from slavery in Egypt. And when they do, then they confront the Red Sea. And there's no clear way for them to escape the army that's chasing after them. And when they cross to the other side, there's no clear way for them to survive in the desert. When they get to Jericho, there's no clear way for them to take down the walls. And time and time again, God triumphs over his enemies. And they are always, by the way, clearly called God's enemies, not Israel's enemies. God wins every time. His people are along for the ride, and they're asked to trust in him, even when doing so seems crazy or irrational. Imagine being an escaped slave chased by an army of people bent on bringing you back into slavery, and you're at the shores of the sea, and there's no escape, and God says, it's fine, just sit here for a little bit. Don't do anything, just wait. Imagine being told, you don't have to do anything. I will fight this battle for you. Just sit there and let me handle it. When the stakes are literally life and death. They have faith. And it might be that in some cases they didn't really have much of a choice. But they had faith. And every time they respond to God in faith, their faith is rewarded. So we come to the end of the chapter. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So he lists these great heroes of the faith, and then he lists this, this, these horrible fates, the, the torture, the women receiving their dead back by resurrection. And that's a reference, by the way, to uh, the rebellion they fought against the Greek empires that ruled over them after Alexander the Great conquered their area. And those are real examples of real things that were done to real people. Horrific torture. Horrible fates because they would not renounce their faith. All these people were living by faith while the world around them lived as if the present world was all there is. And that made them distinct and it enabled them to endure things no one else could endure. It made them living beacons of hope, pointing to the fact that the God who made the world intends to remake it. And these were all people who never saw Jesus the Messiah. They all died before he came. If they can have faith, how much more can we? The great crowd of witnesses kept the faith without ever seeing God's promises fulfilled. We have seen all of his promises fulfilled because all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. What excuse can we possibly have for lacking faith now? We get discouraged easily, and we lose perspective easily. We lose faith easily. When God doesn't move according to our timetables, when God doesn't address our problems in the way we want him to, we begin to put our faith in other things and other people. But Jesus asks us to trust in him even when we don't know what he's doing, and he invites us to take a different view. One of the greatest challenges of the Christian faith is learning to accept that sometimes God's promises are fulfilled long after we want them to be. They may not even be fulfilled during our lifetime. The resurrection of Jesus is our greatest hope precisely because it assures us that the grave is not the end. Some of God's promises may not be fulfilled in this lifetime, but that does not mean you won't see them fulfilled. You may not be healed on this side of the grave, but that does not mean you won't be healed. Faith means taking the long view, the view that the work we do for Christ now may not pay off in this lifetime, but that doesn't mean we won't see the fruits of our labor. Jesus spends his whole ministry in the Gospels planting small little seeds, healing people whose names we never learn teaching nameless and faceless crowds of people we never hear from again in those stories, planting the seeds of his kingdom all throughout the countryside, which he knew wouldn't sprout until after he had died and risen again. Some of the work that we do for the kingdom will look fruitless all our lives. We may not know the impact that we've had before we die. We may spend our entire lives waiting on God to do something, but the gospel shows us that the grave is not the end. We can't see beyond it, but we know we live beyond it. And that's faith. 
trusting that we live beyond what we can see. Trusting that there is more to this world than meets the eye. And when we struggle with that, we can take comfort in knowing that we're not alone. We're not the first people to struggle with it. We can look at all those who've gone before. People from Scripture, people from our own lives. And we can see in their example the courage and the strength that we need. We can see from them that there is a way through, that there is a way to persevere, that there is a way to have faith. To have hope from the future, we draw faith from the past. When our footing feels uncertain, it's faith that stabilizes us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.